This is episode eight of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in episode eight. Brand rebuilding isn't easy. Shipping costs gone wild. Digitizing luxury brands. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone. Today is Thursday, October 6th, and welcome to yet another episode of the Breaking Data podcast. We're all the way up to episode eight, and we're really happy about that. This is Todd Harris, and like uh, for the past seven episodes, I'm joined by Jose Chan. Morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Todd. Hello, everyone. So today, we're going to get into the first thing, um, brand rebuilding. And brand rebuilding... Brand challenges for retailers is uh, it seems like the gift that keeps on giving in terms of um, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, you know, the educational aspect of things or the kind of the, the the behind the scenes aspect of retailing, meaning, you know, some brands have been around brands slash retailers, I guess, have been around for a really, really, really long time, like decades. Right. Um, some even century. Uh, others not so long, but perhaps their brand or the, what they offer, their value proposition as a retailer has fallen away for one reason or another. And we're seeing lately, I think over the past couple of years, um, especially over the past year, is with the volatility in retail, we're seeing the need for a lot of uh, existing brand names, right, um, that are needing to differentiate themselves or maybe the old model at which they were selling or the way, the way they were reaching consumers has changed because of the volatility or the need to differentiate in retail. Um, you know, and a, f- a few examples of that, which we've seen, which are kind of, some are kind of funny because they've succeeded and it kind of caught us off guard. Like, for example, Old Spice, right? So Old Spice um, the, the, the deodorant, which is all I remember it for, and I'm sure they have other products in their line, uh, was known to be before a few years ago was known to be just the really old guy. You know, my grandfather with his old spice, even cologne, I think they had at one point his old spice deodorant on the counter. And it looked really old looking at it. And the name is old spice and it smelt like an old dude. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it just kind of had this like that, 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 that people, you know, in the twenties and thirties or teens even wouldn't consider that ever. And they managed to completely flip that on its side. And they went, they went a little bit loony with some commercials, uh, these, these crazy commercials, which were incredibly entertaining and they were targeting millennials and the millennials loved that. And they ate it up and old spice completely rebuilt their brand, um, ended up, uh, ended up, uh, you know, cleaning off store shelves left and right over the months and a year or two following that or however long that's been that's been done and this this is keep this has kept happening with other brands some succeeding and some not so you know i think it's interesting for us to kind of dig into that a little bit jose and see what's see what's happening here and maybe track a couple of these over the next over the next uh several months and see how they do right yeah makes makes sense and i remember old spices this to your point uh the cologne it etched in my mind which is this ivory colored bottle with a ship on it. Yes. Uh, it's ivory. You're right. Yes. Right. Yes. W- with a gray plastic, like little cap that you pulled on and off. Yeah. And I, you're, you're right. My grandfather had that. And I was like, Oh my God. I know. You never expect your, your, to, for you to use that. Right. I mean, you never think in a million years, uh, mm-hmm. you'd use it. And I mean, I use it every day and love it. 
and uh, but they still have the little uh, the boat on it. You know, they still have the boat. They kept some of their branding intact, but yeah, oh, it's good. totally different. <laughs> it's good to hear that they still have the boat because that, that that's the most memorable piece. <laughs> I was in the ivory. It's that ship that's on there. <laughs> they do have the boat, and so you know, other brands have have tried the same thing, and and this came up. The reason this topic is 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 happening right now on this episode is because um, in the shop.org uh, event last week, which you were at, and we'll hear a little bit of your thoughts on that, um, a couple well-known retailers spoke there that are either in the midst of, well, they're both in the midst of, of making some changes. Uh, one of them is JCPenney, and the other one, I believe, was Land's End. And they both had, they both had presentations at shop.org. Both received in two different ways, um, in their in their own one more positive, one more kind of not quite sure if they can pull that off type thing. And it seems like the the one that's doing well so far, at least in <clears throat> resulting from their earnings and and just customer perception and some of the change that they're making, and they have actual means at which they're making these changes is J.C. Penney, and they they were all but dead a few years ago, I think. There was, if, uh, I think you would agree with that, Jose, just the the nature of JCPenney and the, the brand, the, the the revenues, and just everything about it was sort of dying at one point, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, it, to, to your point, it was a culture problem, right? What do I mean culture problem? Organizational uh, culture. So you had the former head of Apple, uh, Ron Johnson, we, we all know the story, so I won't rehash it here. But but effectively, he was the one who was responsible, along with Steve Jobs, of creating the Apple stores, right? And he rolled them out successfully, Genius Bar, etc. cetera, uh, everything that we know about Apple stores. And he tried to bring the same magic uh, into JCPenney, but he just didn't listen to the consumer you see i didn't right? know that that's interesting i had no idea that was the case and that explains a lot of things you know yeah and and he didn't listen to the consumer so he uh tried to do away with uh, the promotional pricing mechanism that, that that drives a lot of their business at jc penny right so if you look at it it was what 70 percent of all sales were made with some type of promotion or sold at a discount and then he wanted to move to an everyday low pricing model. And so that didn't go well, <laughs> period. And he right. had a relatively short tenure. Again, customers, as you know, as you just said, they vote with their wallets. Sure. sure. And that's what happened. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, they, they did. And, um, you know, kind of getting back to the, the difference between JCPenney and Land's End here. <clears throat> JCPenney has, has taken a couple... A couple angles to 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 differentiate themselves and to sort of relaunch their brand. Um, and like we mentioned early on the intro of the episode, J.C. Penney's been around for over a hundred years, so you know they've got lots of history. But that's not always that's not always a guarantee in terms of their performance or you know being able to relaunch their brand. So they've done two things. They've at least two things that I thought, and you know, you're welcome to interject, obviously, as always, and just kind of give your give your opinion on if you think that's those. These are the reasons why. But these two factors: um, one is a refresh product assortment because they're introducing what they well, they're reintroducing technically appliances. They used to sell them way back. Uh, they're adding um, a couple of other things. They're adding a plus size women's apparel, 
which is is a whole we should talk about that in another episode just meaning the the demand for plus size women's apparel and the difference between the demand and the actual uh, availability of it in some of these stores but they've recognized that and they have a whole department for that and um also they've partnered with sephora to have like a little mini sephora area in their stores so they did a couple things there to shake up what they're offering you know to, to mm-hmm. kind of dangle some bait uh, and also they're 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 just in general they're I think they're creating a better customer experience. They're adjusting what people, you know, when they go into the store are they going to feel like they're going there for just one thing or are they going to kind of go there naturally uh naturally see that, you know, they'll want to, you know, they're going there maybe to look for a jacket and they maybe they'll see the Sephora thing like, "Oh, this is really great." You know, they have Sephora here. I don't have to go to the Sephora store. I can just shop here while I'm at the store or something like that. You know, maybe they've tr- they've retrained their employees to be a little bit more helpful to understand what people might be looking for when they go to the store um, specific to JCPenney customers. So they've done a couple things there, I think, to make that that in-store experience better and, of course, offer a better assortment. Yeah, I agree with you, Tom. Look, so uh, in terms of that, they have synergies, right? So the, this the Sephora, even if you weren't a JC. Uh, penny customer, you would still go in to buy from Sephora and perhaps you'd be enticed to look at other things, right? So in addition, you could see the same, say the same for plus size apparel. Maybe they didn't have it before. And if you're going in for plus size apparel, right, because now there's a reason to go there, then there's perhaps a reason to go to see other things that they might have. And along with Sephora, which is interesting to you, you'll see that in addition to maybe not appliances, but perhaps other products that you were say, oh, wow, they actually carry this and you wouldn't have ventured to go in there in the first place. It wouldn't have been top of mind. Point, that's point one. The other thing to consider, point two, is what you said earlier. Let's go back to this Old Spice uh, idea. Yeah. So what is old is new, right? Because although I think it's tough for a retailer that's 114 years to keep itself relevant all the time and that's a trick the fact that they've been able to do it look if we were in europe 114 years it's like ah that's small yeah but here in america it's a big deal 114 years is a big deal and to survive like jc penny has for this many years and constantly recreating itself and you know retailers uh listening know that we're always in a state of reach creating ourselves in an industry to stay relevant and how hard it is, regardless of whether you're 114 years or 14 years um, old as a, as a brand uh, and or retailer, to constantly stay relevant, right? Because customers can be fickle. They right. need not be loyal. And so I think to your point, they've done things in a way that's that, that, that's been smart and the proof is in the numbers. Um, forecast for over six straight quarters, they've topped the forecast. But yet I think there, there's, there has to be, as long as they can continue this, because we, we've talked about the state of retail overall, the general retail landscape, everyone's crying the blues. Yeah, uh, it, It's just a tough landscape. There's some bright spots, but um, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I hope Land's End can turn around too, but they're, they're having a little bit of a harder time, I think. They might be earlier in the cycle. But the more I was reading into it, um, I remembered a, a couple things that they've been doing for a while now. Um, Lens End has, first of all, they're seeing quarterly, you know, quarterly uh, earnings kind of drop uh, substantially, over, you know, each quarter. So it's it's sort of disappointing for them, especially since they um, 
they started something called Canvas a while back. It's I think it's been around for a few years now, and it's more of their their effort to get towards the younger demographic. Um, and, and it's it's sort of a higher end, trendier line made by Lands End, but I think it's branded by uh, something called Canvas. I haven't seen too much of it, but um, I believe that what's happening here is that this this line is creating this halo effect for their overall brand. So by pulling people in using Canvas, they're trying to kind of expand their 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 core Lands End brand and kind of gain some more momentum there. And they're trying to also increase their assortment in general. But I think what Lands End is doing, they're most you know they've been the cat the catalog business for so many years. I remember getting this huge catalog when I was younger. Lands End, right? Just like it went on mm -hmm. forever. Um, I don't think they have many stores from they've, what I remember. Do they? They've curtailed their stores. I yeah. don't know the exact store count. We could probably look it up online. I think they do pop-ups sometimes, right? They do some pop-ups, yes. I think, in Boston, New York City, maybe L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And they used to be part of Sears, right? So um, right. they were yeah. Yeah. spun off from Sears uh, on their own. Uh, and I think there, Todd, the, the issue, it, it's... I think they have a lot of great initiatives, but like everything, I think no different than pennies. And this is the the di difference. This is where they're similar, but we know they're different. But let's get to the where they're similar piece. Mm -hmm. They're similar. It's again, it's an organizational problem. So as long as you have the right uh, leadership in place that could manage the change right across the brand or retailer internally, mm -hmm. then you're okay but it wasn't clear that they had that because they just had a management reshuffle right and so i think that's hindered them to your point earlier they're still in the early stages so i think given the right management uh within the company they they may be able to to pull this thing off uh assuming everything um gels kind of like a jc penny yeah absolutely and and this kind of blends actually into our next segment pretty nicely uh, in terms of some of the stresses that retailers are feeling. So, you know, when Land's End being a catalog business or maybe a primarily online driven business, um, they're going to be they're going to be dependent on shipping costs and they're not Amazon, meaning they can almost, you know, uh, adjust their own shipping costs in a way by by having a giant uh, um, a giant uh, contract with FedEx and UPS or whatever. Um, so one one thing we're seeing in retail and this goes into our you know the the shipping cost conversation is is the major the major um providers meaning you know UPS and FedEx are raising their rates every year it seems like right around the holiday season and you know retailers like Land's End and re even even Amazon or whoever are constantly getting their you know their margins affected by these rates because it's a big deal for them and they're either going to eat that so for example ups and fedex they're raising their this was a couple days ago this this was out in um on internetretailer.com. they're raising their ground shipping rates for an uh, almost actually five percent pretty much after the holidays uh with some fees kicking in sooner so they, these these aren't that's not a small number for them, right? I mean, this is this is a big deal for retailers, and this is probably in the back of a lot of their minds, saying, "Okay, we've got this what you call it, a duopoly here with um, with FedEx and UPS controlling these costs for them, and and the retailers every year having to build that in to their plans." To say, okay, you know, we're going to have this extra uh, <laughs> this extra five percent at least, and we not even mention the U.S. Postal Service uh, services uh, raising their rates. 
um, upwards of 10% on some of their uh, on some of their their ship their shipping products. So, you know, odds are it's going to end up being something that we as the consumer have to float at some point. But they can't, you know, they retailers can't afford to keep raising that at that at that pace. So what happens here? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of volatility when it comes to shipping, especially it seems to come up every year because that's when they raise it uh, around the holiday times and they're getting a little out of control at this point, it seems. No, you're absolutely right, Todd. I mean, look, what, what's going on here is, uh, especially in the case of an Amazon, but you could say this for any online component or catalog or ship to consumer, let's say model for any given retailer, is that when you think about it, everybody says, oh yeah, it's so inexpensive to run um, online because your shipping costs, because your costs are lower. I, I kind of got ahead of myself there. Because your costs yeah, are lower. Yeah. But, but it's not that your costs are any lower um, because you don't have, uh, let's say, a physical presence. You have other costs. I mean, your infrastructure costs, uh, the compute costs. And this point here, which is, I guess, the crux of it, is shipping. That is a moving cost, right? So if um, in relation to what you're saying, so for example, Amazon's shipping costs, and this is um, referencing a Wall Street Journal article that, that we'll put, put in, the, in the show notes at the end. It shows that shipping costs as a percentage of revenue has been increasing quarterly. And it's roughly a little bit above, um, it was, let's say, around 11%, right? Um, whereas it, 2003, it was maybe a little bit closer to eight, eight and a half, nine. Doesn't sound like a lot, mm -hmm. but when you're talking about, you know, a multi-billion dollar retailer, it adds up. <laughs> oh, so yeah. it's no doubt it, it it's and then what what happens i mean the name of the game in retail is to maximize your margins so it starts eating away um you know as a as an expense and it, it erodes ultimately your your bottom line right? yeah and, and you've got um only the only the biggest and you know the most i guess you could say the most powerful retailers are able to really eat it you know uh I, I would say the frustrations coming from amazon for example are apparent you know you do a search for amazon shipping costs and you will see all sorts of stuff out there about <clears throat> you know potential excuse me <clears throat> potential um solutions they're looking for internally to offset that and you know we've heard about a couple months ago the prime air uh prototype or maybe it was just an actual their first their first plane called prime air well, they will they will actually start managing logistics on their own. You know, they'll actually start shipping things using Prime Air instead of UPS or FedEx, which is a whole nother ball of wax. I mean, that that is that will be impressive. I mean, this is a whole nother conversation when you think about um, um, outsourcing shipping, which they which is the most common thing with UPS and FedEx. And then the other option is to create your own. Right. So the Prime Air. And we've got this third one that we'll talk about at some point once it becomes a more of a reality, which is drone delivery. So there's there's other options that are coming around for them. It's just, do they have the time to, the money to invest in, for example, their own planes, which most don't, and the or the time to wait until delivery becomes a little bit more efficient or commoditized or something through, mm -hmm. uh, through drones. So there's a lot happening there. And this old school model of, of, of paying the duopoly of, of UPS and FedEx is going to go away. It's just a matter of time. 
right? Sure, exactly. And and look, I'll, and I'll take a quote from the New York Times article. A senior official uh, in, from Amazon said, essentially, uh, and I'm quoting, yeah. Amazon is building a full-service logistics and transportation network effectively from the ground up. So, <laughs> really, to your point, I mean, it's, it is crazy. And if I were a retailer, I'd wonder, well, how do I fulfill better? How do I make my operations more efficient because you have to squeeze every you know um margin percentage uh point you can in this day and age especially in this environment so if you know that your product is sort of going back to the earlier comment about jason penny that you made um it is right well you know what from my supply chain standpoint how do i optimize that as well yeah and you know I was thinking about it. I could see the other retailer I could see jumping on this bandwagon uh, is Walmart. I mean, they're legit. They're they're like they are like the logistics case study, you know, in terms of their ability uh, from an in-store perspective to yeah. to keep the th- keep things on their shelves, you know, to re- to to uh, allocate efficiently, to replenish on time, all these things. They're like I, may, I remember back in school that we read a whole bunch of those, and um, they are the poster child of logistics. So you got to wonder if they're going to be. Um, if they're going to be getting involved in that at some point too. So we'll have to keep our eyes sure. on that and see what happens. Um, so kind of pivoting a little bit away from, uh, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of, of retailers. We've seen the hit on that every week because it's just so juicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's great. Uh, we'll move over to luxury brands a little bit here. So a little bit away from your, your, your common retailer, but looking at, you know, these, these, these luxury brands, which uh, get put on a pedestal sometimes and, and uh, the old model of of going to purchase a luxury watch, for example, or a um, you know a, a, a luxury brand uh, a purse or wallet or whatever it might be, this used to be done purely by walking in a store, and that was that. You wouldn't you wouldn't really see much else about it. It wouldn't there wouldn't be that many adver- advertisements about it. There wouldn't be many promotions. Wouldn't be too much outreach trying to gain your attention. Because you know what? They got that name. They have that name, um, uh, whether it's Prada or whatever it might be, and they can lean on that and people will come to them, right? Well, that's changed. And, you know, uh, some of these these luxury retailers, these luxury brands, I guess, con- continuing this brand conversation, are needing to adjust uh, with the pressure of, <clears throat> of, of alternate means of purchasing, like some of the monthly subscription things, which offer luxury elements to it. So Birchbox, for example. Um, we've also seen um, the combination of, of, I guess, regular brands in a way. So more, more classic uh, brands that that reach out to consumers in that, uh, you know, in that in that newer manner of, you know, through online, through social, et cetera, et cetera. Apple, for example, like Apple Watch, and, and 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 correct me here, Jose. How do I pronounce this? Is this Hermé, or is it the uh, the? Or- it, it, is it H E R M E S? Hermes. I got it. So Apple Watch is partnering with a few of these luxury brands to kind of bring it together to so say, okay, there's a market, the people that want a luxury version of the Apple Watch. Let's talk to some of the luxury brands for that. And through that, they're kind of initiating this digital angle of, of, of uh, from a marketing perspective, from a promotion perspective. And these luxury brands are starting to see the effect of that. They're starting to see like, okay, well, if we partner maybe with some of these other brands, 
we can get some more exposure. We can increase our sales, maybe, you know, change the way, change our model a little bit to be less selective about who walks in our store, but, you know, a little bit more open in terms of how they, how they reach out to potential new customers. So this is very interesting. You know, this is very interesting from a, from an old school retail perspective to think about how business was done for, uh, for luxury brands and how that's changing or right? how it has to change for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Todd, look, this uh, luxury is probably the last bastion of the old world of retailing. Right. And I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote. Um, so I'm going to take you back uh, to last century, 1999. Um, oh, that's so long ago. No, it actually feels, <laughs> it does feel like yesterday, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1999, I was talking to, so I, I worked, um, for division of Richemont. And I, Richemont is Cartier, Montblanc, Dunhill, et cetera. You could look it up online. Okay. Sounds like you're speaking a different language, but okay, go ahead. (laughs) But I was talking to a Cartier uh, official, right? Or uh, an exec. And this person at that time, and I distinctly remember this, said, but you know, this whole digital thing, we will never go digital. How can you sell anything that's luxury online this will never happen hmm. and even then okay um i'm green sure i could say i'm green now but i was greener back then i'm like well uh i don't know exactly how to monetize um this you know boom in in, in dot com which I eventually became bust mm-hmm. But and I didn't know back then what we know now and take for granted that it online is a sales channel and the digital realm today has become much more than a sales channel. It's social media, so it's also a, an advertising PR channel, if you will. It's a way to expose um, ideas and brands through through many different ways. Um, it, it, it make it, it didn't make sense even then. I'm like, no, we, we there has to be a way to implement this. I didn't know how. But I couldn't be that close-minded. And to think that, okay, that's 1999, we're 2016, 17 years later, you go on their website now, they actually sell <laughs> products online. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And there, there is an influence. I mean, there is, a, um, there is a statistical influence on, on luxury sales by, by digital. Um, so there is there is a we'll we'll put this link in the show notes. Also, a study done by BCG uh, on the influence of digital uh, for retail, and they looked at the sales and the percentage of which were influenced. And they must have some means of doing this, which probably don't need to cover here. But what they found is that fifty-eight <clears throat> percent of sales, so six out of ten, were digitally influenced. So there was some means outside of just walking in the store um, that caused that purchase. So that that's a big deal for them. I mean, this is this is something where they probably it's going to open their eyes and they're going to be like, okay, well we've got there's something here to look at. You know, people are changing in how they're purchasing, and mm-hmm. you know, it's time it's time to adapt. Just like we talked about about the brands that kind of end up being dinosaurs, they don't adapt. And in this right. case, it's not going to be an entire market you know it's not like all of luxury goods are going to go away it's not like you know it's but it's also not like it's just the kardashians are purchasing luxury goods that's not the case there's a whole nother market um so 
You know, I mean, this is this is something that they're going to have to adapt to at some point. And if they're not already, I bet you some of yes. them are and some of them aren't just like it always is. Right. Some are doing. Yes. Some are doing a better job than others. Yeah. So, like, so Cartier sells things online. They need not sell, let's say, their premium things online, certain premium things like, let's say, a three carat diamond uh, with other precious stones um, on a particular ring. You can't sell that online. Fine. Right. Who would want uh, to ship something like that? Can you imagine? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's it's you still want that experience, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, if you think about what's really happening here, they're just kind of realizing. Uh, and we'll, we'll give them more credit. The last few years, they've started to realize, I think, more as an industry, that it's all of the influences. Uh, of the different sales channels that will help a customer make a purchase. So the more channels of distribution you have for your sales to take place, the more options a client has or a potential client has, the higher the likelihood that she or he will purchase something. This goes for luxury retailers yeah. and it goes for everyone. But they're also realizing that it's not just that, and if you take it back to the Omni channel, that having touch points, right? Right, so yeah. social media influences uh, that also touch a consumer. There's a higher likelihood that they will purchase as well. So that is, I guess, the heart of what this study is showing them, and it's quantitatively and methodologic and using a methodology that's a little bit more, let's say, precise to demonstrate this rather than the just using the art of retail as we always talk about yeah. it's using some sort of methodology to give them something more concrete to go on versus just gut instinct yeah absolutely it's uh it's a whole nother a whole nother model and it's changing expectations on the consumers they they you know things like you mentioned before things like birchbox and stitch fix and those types of models have 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 spoiled consumers in essence so, you know they they expect different now and and um, sure. you know, this 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 digital means of, of communicating for luxury brands is a thing now, and they, they need to they need to to realize that. Um, and you know, and of course, you know, on the heels of that is are, are going to be other ways they're going to have to start reaching out. And this is going to be just in general with retail, but um, I think in the BCG thing, they were talking about virtual reality and augmented reality, and it, which is even more interesting with with luxury because with augmented reality, perhaps you could. Um, actually see how a product will look on you or how it will look on you when you're holding it over your shoulder or um, whatever it might be. It could be. It'll give them that much more interaction with and a very expensive purchase to, to see before they buy if they're not in the store. So there's things mm. like that that are going to be very interesting for them to, to look into, And but there's a path at which they need to move. You can't just jump from uh, running a store to maybe sending a few emails out to augmented reality. So there's going right. to be this path, right? And, and we'll have to see if they actually move through that and and, uh, and if they're able to to meet the expectations, right? Yes, yes. And, and to that end, look, let, let's think about this. We'll put this in the show notes too. There's the Wall Street Journal article about uh, the new Barney's store, right? And it talks about Barney's and Saks and what they're doing to pretty much make their in-store experience a little bit more, uh, let's say, uh, amenable to the customer needs today, which are digital, right? And customer service and using technology to enhance that experience. So for example, uh, there's a new digital tool um, that is being used um, for sales associates. 
so it's on the, it's at Saks actually. And even on their e-com website, they could connect with a real human sales associate versus a chat bot or just having a chat. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's something that they're testing and trying to see if they, if they could make the connection with this digital and human element, which, which is quite important. Right. And, you know, their president, CEO, Mark Metric, said that they could follow up on alterations uh, or the event that a given customer went to and they could develop a real relationship with with uh, with you. Hmm. Right. So it, it's a human being. So I think it's That's using interesting. All right. technology as a platform to make this link. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. I didn't see that. Um, but it's it sounds like they're that, that's a pretty big step because I wonder if there's a lot of people that would be turned off by that in a way um, because it's almost too personal. But also I wonder if maybe the clientele for them is different that way. They, they need that or they want that. Almost like a, a concierge for them, right? To maybe even make repeat purchases or to kind of see what they prefer, what they like. Yeah, well, yeah. look, to, to what you said earlier, it, every retailer is different. And what works for a sax may not work for someone else, right? Yeah. The other thing to consider is that, okay, um, working, once you get someone into a store, so let's say this associate could get, uh, you develop a relationship, it's authentic, obviously, right? Um, you get in and where, where it adds value, they could recommend things or brands or, um, you know, components, add components to your wardrobe. Let's say you're in a store. Once you're in a store with a sales associate, the likelihood of purchasing for any given customer is exponential. Then, mm-hmm. then you're actually um, doing what a retailer used to do, right? right. Which is essentially helping you <laughs> upsell and cross sell. It, it kind of sounds, um, it, maybe I didn't frame it the right way, but at the end of the day, that, that's what it's about. But it's not just about upselling, cross-selling. It's really, at the end of the day, having that consumer uh, walk out with a smile because that's that's really the whole point. You just you don't necessarily need more stuff. You need an experience, even if you only purchase one thing or if you purchase nothing, that makes you feel good about yourself, which is the whole experience component that retailers are trying to capture nowadays. Well, yeah, and especially with the price tags for uh, luxury brands, it is uh, <laughs> it is no joke. It's sometimes it's a hard. It's a hard thing to uh, to expect as someone walking out, you know, uh, of a store <laughs> after dropping two two thousand dollars on a purse um, and having a smile on their face. I guess, hey, maybe some people would. I don't know. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, so yeah, that, that's that's very interesting. We will uh, we will revisit this as as maybe we see some luxury brands changing. Well, let's move on. Let's let's close it out here. We're gonna we're gonna get to our. Last segment, which is something we're going to uh, infuse into each episode here and there, uh, called our humble, <clears throat> our humble opinion, and that is again our opinion. It's in this case, it's Jose's opinion, and he's going to get into he's going to get into a little bit about the new world of retail and uh, some specifics of, of some of the of some of the things he saw, at uh, some of the things you saw Jose at uh, shop.org. So this will be kind of cool for those that didn't make shop.org. To kind of get your yeah. view on what's 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 changing, what what you're seeing. So uh, take it away. Thanks, Todd. So look, uh, we're living in a new world, as if we didn't know this already, right? And as retailers, we're all used to change. Change has always been part of our DNA. However, uh, 
we have to embrace a different type of change. We've normally been used to changing with a season, new seasonal items. We've been normally um, been we've been used to changing with new products, with new procedures, with, with all sorts of things, right? And that that's just normal for us. It's change is the name of the game in retail. However, the type of change in this new world that we live in, uh, within the vertical of retail, uh, is is different. And this point was driven home at the first component of the shop.org show, which was a student program that took place last Monday. That would have been September 26th. So the this student program is geared towards obviously students um, that are the future and lifeblood of this industry, okay? Now, what's different? Why am I bringing this up? You're probably like wondering, well, why is he bringing this up on this segment? Well, it's important because it was the first time that the student program was geared towards students that weren't just students as they normally are, um, interested in retailing, fashion, etc. It was geared towards specific students, undergraduate and graduate, that were computer science, engineering, and information technology students, right? And so the keynote that opened up the whole session of this student program on Monday, which took place on Monday before um, the Tuesday and Wednesday components of the shop.org show, uh, Nicholas Frachet, the director of Global Vertical at Facebook, said, and he put it succinctly, and this was the whole theme, and this could summarize the day uh, of, and you could imagine what the discussions were. He stated that organizations are built for the rule of stores. So we're living under the rule of stores. And so we're adapting in this new world to what we've been talking about in this segment, and many other segments to this new digital world. And what does this mean? So it means that we need to continually adapt and embrace this change. And let me take you into the overall themes. I'm not going to go into sessions or keynotes. You could look at that up online. But what are the overall key themes that I took away in the shop.org? And I know it's about technology, but it's also about the human experience. So overall key themes, as I just said, experience, authenticity, personalization, transparency, and community. So what we should remember, and this is what I took away as a major takeaway here, and you could say, look, there are a lot of companies exhibiting their solutions. There are a lot of retailers talking about the future of tech uh, trends, etc. But the key to this is that we have to always remember that technology will only augment uh, the experience that we provide customers with. And really, our job as retailers is to use all means necessary, including technology, to ensure that our customers are walking away with a smile on their face, whether they make a purchase or not, because they will eventually spread positive word of mouth and come back or send their friends. And it's about, you know, let's make retail fun again. It shouldn't be about, oh, I missed earnings. That's important. I know everyone's bonus and what have you. Um, perhaps jobs always on the line, but we should have fun and make this fun for consumers as well as for ourselves. So my question for you this week is, as retailers, how are we really embracing change within our organizations?
Well, maybe we can take a stab at that next episode. See if there's any retailers that are actually embracing change. Um, and maybe we covered a little bit of that today, Jose, with the, with the brand relaunches and things like that. But, um, you know, we, we could see if there's, if there's anything, especially with the NRF coming, uh, the NRF Big Show coming up. I'm sure there'll be many stories of that uh, to see how they're embracing technologies, embracing change or exp- customer experience and new generations and all that stuff, right? So, absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Well, that is episode eight. And thanks everyone for listening and taking about 40 minutes out uh, to hopefully enjoy this. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. And you can come visit us at brickdatacast.com. And we're available. Of course, we encourage you to subscribe, uh, head over to Stitcher. You can head over to iTunes, uh, to Google Play, uh, Google Music. We, we are there and um, all of our episodes are there, including future ones. So thanks, everybody. And we will see you in episode nine. Take care of yourselves. Thanks. Bye.